It's the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA. Agent Ether. Agent Kruger. And Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you. And all new, fresh out of the locker for this week, we have a brand new Facebook page. What's the address to that, Agent Ether? It's www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash alien con pod. Huge thanks to Agent Ether for setting that up. All right, this week's episode, Shag Harbor. And uh, go, please, please hold your Austin Power jokes. That's not my bag, baby. This this is a really, really good case. If you're not aware of this case, it's kind of like Canada's Roswell. And I'm not saying that just because literally every case outside of the United States is that place is Roswell. But this has it has a lot of interesting things about it, like multiple independent witnesses, a crashed UFO mm-hmm. that was possibly retrieved, just all kinds of crazy and exciting stuff. Yeah. But the, the only main, the only really big difference, is, well, uh, one big difference is it supposedly crashed in the ocean as opposed to on land. But yeah, yeah there's a lot of other similarities. That's, that's for sure. Yeah. But before we get into the episode, I just wanted to talk a little bit about a news item that I noticed in the news. Oh. Apparently, a researcher has determined that on Mars, so on Mars, we think that the water evaporated into space more or less. So that's how it lost its water. Because lack but of atmosphere. According, yeah. So according yeah. to this researcher, though, the water actually kind of froze underground or something. It didn't escape into space. Uh, something like 99, up to 99% of Mars's water may still be trapped under the surface of the planet. What this tells me is that there are definitely subterranean Martians still living on the planet. That's, I mean, that wasn't in the article, but I'm kind of jumping to that conclusion. Yeah, dude, that's probably where the lizard people came from. The subterraneans, you know? Yeah. And mm. it's very cold because it's like frozen water under the ground. And that's why the lizard people have their base in Antarctica. And now you've spoken too much. Yeah. Now they're well, coming for you. The cat is out of the bag. Well, anyways, that was all I had for the for the um, news this week or whatever. So why don't we get right into it? Agent Ether wants to start off with a related or possibly related sighting from Russia via a newspaper in Texas. Why don't you kick us off, Agent Ether? All right. We're looking at the El Paso Herald Post and the day before the Shag Harbor incident, October 3rd, 1967, multiple witnesses spotted a dazzling light in the warm, clear skies with a series of trailing lights. According to Air Force General Porfiry Stolyarov, it was uh, all over the spectrum, including up to the color red, and it had multiple trailing lights. He said, we have not yet... Let me do this in a Russian accent. We have not yet identified the flying saucers, but clearly sued the trailing lights. How was that? <laughs> Very nice. It went, it went into a Scottish or like, <laughs> com, man. So, it was good. Yet. I try. <laughs> da, um, da. 
Interestingly enough, there were a lot of uh, sightings of sickle-shaped UFOs that year, and there was some speculation that it was actually the Russians trying to put uh, nuclear missiles into low orbit. So that might have been the case with this sighting as well. But this general was the head of a new detective agency in Moscow that was started to investigate, investigate corroborative sightings of UFOs that coincided with reports elsewhere. Did you say carbureted? I didn't. Not this time. You didn't. How, what, what did you say? I said corroborated. Corroborated? Co- <laughs> no, corroborated. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. You got it right. Earlier, Agent Ether was practicing her lines and was unable to say the word corroborated. I was That's why I was giving her a hard time on that. She was saying corroborated, carbureted, but not corroborated. Corroborated right, was apparently my favorite. Yeah, corroborated. I had no. to go online to dictionary.com and listen to how it was pronounced. I just couldn't get it. Yeah, I, I told her not to do that because I thought it was funny. You know, it would have been great for the show, but no, nah, she, she learned how to say it right. So unfortunately, it didn't work out. I actually have it written down with like corroborated, so I couldn't possibly get it wrong. Yeah, it's not that big of a deal. Like some some people have, you know, problems with uh, the word ro- rowad or rowad, you know. Me, myself, <laughs> uh, I can't quite uh, figure out uh, Worcester, Worcestershire, Worcestershire sauce. Worcestershire sauce? Worcestershire. Nobody Worcestershire. can say that. Worcestershire. That's my, Worcestershire. That's my kryptonite. Worcestershire. Trevor comes Mine first. Mine was photosynthesis for the longest time. Yeah, what's yeah. harder to say, I'm sorry, or Worcestershire sauce? Well, Worcestershire. everybody... Everybody knows that you got to be careful with that stuff because if yeah. you use it as an embalming fluid, it'll turn the person or the corpse into a zombie. Yeah, well, a little goes a long ways. Whoever used Worcestershire sauce instead of embalming fluid, hey, evil. You, you said it right. Damn you. Worcestershire. He's a genius. Yeah. All right, guys. <laughs> let's get on baloney. Follow me. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's get on to the case here. All right. Oh, yeah. So... We're talking about an event that happened in Shag in and near and about Shag Harbor in Canada. This is on the east part of Canada. It, if you look on a map, it's that you know that bit that kind of hangs south. It's like kind of east oh, of yeah. Maine. Yeah, Shag so Harbor. So there's maybe. yeah, yeah. So it's very very close to the United States as well. It's like across from Maine, across the water, kind of. It's hard to describe, but if you look at a map, that's where it is. Uh, this we're talking about October fourth. 1967. This is a long time ago. So on seven at 7.15 p.m., an Air Canada flight 305 that was headed towards Toronto was flying over Sherbrooke and St. Jean, Quebec. Uh, it had a sighting. This is sort of like a prelude to the action that happens later on. So the first officer, Robert Ralph, uh, had, had, I was just going to say officer, first officer Ralph, but then you're like, well, Ralph who? So you got to use his first name because his last name is actually a first name. So oh. first officer, Robert well, Ralph. Yeah, one of, one of them guys. Yeah. Why he, saw, he saw a UFO off to the side of the plane and he brought that to the attention of the captain, Pierre Charbonneau, Char, C-H-A-R-B-O-N-N-E-A-U, Char, mm-hmm. Charbonneau. I'm not so good at French. I'm not sure how you pronounce Charbonneau. that. Charbonneau. Charbonneau. Well, Charbonneau. Yeah, either, either which way. Anyways, he brought it to his attention, and they both watched it to the left of the plane. It was a brilliantly lit rectangular object that was tracking a parallel course a few miles away. 
and they also saw a string of smaller lights trailing that object. The pilots saw a large silent explosion near the object at about 719, so that's about four minutes after the initial sighting. Then two minutes after that, they saw another explosion that faded into a blue cloud around the object. This is a really interesting detail that they saw explosions next to it because we're talking about a crashed UFO. So if this is the same object, perhaps they saw whatever malfunction caused it to crash in the first place, mm. or maybe it was some sort of weapon or who knows what. We don't well, know. Unbeknownst to them, yeah. Yeah. So there were a few other sightings before the crash incident. There was a family, Daryl and Annette Dory and their mom, they were sitting on their front porch in Mahone Bay. They saw a large object maneuvering above the southwest horizon. And the next day, they wrote a, le a letter to RCAF Greenwood. Another sighting, a Captain Leo Howard Mercy, M-E-R-S-E-Y, he was at the wheelhouse of his ship, and he saw four stationary blips on his radar. He looked out and he saw four bright objects at a rectangular formation. He had a crew of about 20 men on his boat, and they all went out and watched the object from the deck of the ship. Uh, they reported the object to the harbor master in Halifax, and that's Halifax is right next to Shab Shag Harbor. Those are just a couple of sightings. There was a whole bunch of people in the area starting at about 7 o'clock or 7.15. I believe Air Canada was the first sighting, but it, it might not be, and maybe there's one I didn't find. But either which way, starting at about 7 o'clock, there's a whole heck of a lot of people seeing weird stuff flying around in this area. And at 11.20, that's when it gets starts to get kind of exciting. Anybody else want to take it from here? All right, so around 11 p.m., reports started to come in uh, about a, crash, a crashed object in Shag Harbor, uh, approximately by 11 people. I think there could have been more, um, but... Uh, you know, they say 11 people, and this happened around 11, too, so hey, go figure. Um, they reported seeing a low-flying object uh, heading towards the harbor. Along with it came a, a you know, whistling sound like a, it sounded like a bomb. And accompanying that, that sound, uh, a large whoosh of wind and just followed that uh, before the object, you know, the, made a loud bang as it crashed. Um, they last saw it in the water. Um, I think I couldn't find more reports on it, but they were uh, mentioning that some saw it actually like floating on the surface for just a moment, but there was loose details on that. I couldn't find really a lot of like concrete, not, not many like photographs of this incident too, which no, is, no, I think there was only what one, f there was like one photograph. I'd like to say though, there were multiple witnesses calling into radios too, Around yeah, that time. Yeah, yeah. So there were a lot of witnesses. And if you consider that this was a really small fishing village, I mean, there's only a few hundred people in the town. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't seem like, hey, a few dozen witnesses, that's not a lot. Well, for the size of the town, that was actually pretty considerable. Well, it's also a very close-knit community as well, too. So it, the, right. call, the call to action that happened shortly thereafter was a, you know, a testament to that, you know. So I, mean, and I think that's one of the, you know, important things to note um, about this, this event 
uh, is the people that had witnessed it initially, they weren't thinking UFO. They were thinking, you know, crashed airplane. So th- there was a lot of fishermen and, and people in the area. Because th- let's not forget, this this uh, event was something that had been witnessed from the air, from the land, and from the sea all at the same time, supposedly, if, if all the uh, testimony is to be believed, you know. So so um, it, it's a very, very interesting event, you know. So, so, but after the, uh, the, the object was supposedly witnessed crashing into the ocean there, um, you know, there, there was a lot of fishermen that were still out in the ocean that were called into action and, um, they, they sprung into action immediately. They, they went straight to the area that supposedly, you know, the, 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 the craft went down in and all of them were thinking, like I said, um, crashed airplanes. Somebody so, was hurt and danger too. Yeah, yeah that shows yeah. the kindness of these people too. I mean, that's pretty oh, awesome. Yeah, totally. I mean, there was uh, going back to actually uh, Daryl, uh, the Daryl Dory. Mm-hmm. Um, he, him, and his sister. I mean, Daryl. The next day, as as we mentioned, he wrote a letter to the local military base asking, you know, what what the heck went went down instead of jumping, you know, to whatever was, you know, I'm not sure the difference between an American jumping to like, oh, it's a UFO right away. Then um, I think we all have that initial reaction when we see this stuff is that it's something that, you know, it's a legit, you know, emergency. It's a plane. It's something that, you know, was a legit mission and it went awry and they want to help. But uh, they couldn't find, I mean, just the fact that they couldn't find a trace afterwards you know, just is definitely they those fishermen and those the two reporting officers that came to that site. It's uh, interesting that you that you say a trace because like the, there was no like wreckage that like or, or like uh, bodies or anything that the the fish the fishermen found, but supposedly there was a very foamy uh, layer at the top of um, the water that like the fishermen noted as being very weird, very odd. And um, something that, that they had not seen before wasn't common to the area. They, they, you know, it was odd enough to where like they took note of it and be like, "What the heck is that?" You know. Now I saw something, uh, a quick like artist depiction of the area. Now was that that foam or whatnot you mentioned? Was that like bioluminescent or was that did that glow at all? Well, our, so so the craft the craft fall, followed a, a path underwater after it had crashed supposedly. And um, the foam, um, from what it's described, it, it, it followed the path, uh, whatever path it took under the water. So it wasn't like just one area. It, it, you know, it, it followed like a path, like it, you know, led a certain direction. So, um, yeah, but, but it was, you know, I, I find that very odd. I, I, so I find it very, you know, interesting that, uh, that those fishermen would, would uh, take a heavy note of that foam because these these are people that are, are very in tune with their surroundings. You know what I mean? The, um, they know what they're looking at as far as like you know uh, the surface of the sea, and um, you know, like I said, their surroundings. Uh, they, they are you know um, they have good uh, situational awareness when it comes to this, this type of stuff. You know, so true. I mean, and, and again, the area that you mentioned out uh, was not very big. I mean, it was not like. Um, you know, a big city that this would typically happen in. I mean, it was, you know, it was kind of, I don't want to say isolated incident. Would that be the right word? I, I'm not sure if I'm representing that right. But I mean, like, if you get a head count of the actual um, people that were reporting this, it was, a, I think the count, there was a map I saw that was two ships, one plane, and six total land, uh, like, groups that reported it. 
um, and actual direction of the object and where it went. And I can share that with you guys if you'd like. But mm -hmm. um, so it was that was interesting to see. Um, yeah, you seen, could I've make out enough, a flight yeah. path. Yeah, yeah, you can definitely make out a flight path. But um, so I mean, it's this isn't a it's a rather transparent case too. This happened in. Uh, a different part of the world where you know the government seemed to have either moved in quick and silenced everything or they're pretty open about it and they're just like hey you know they show reports they they haven't been sealed up this is you know yada 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 well it seems like in canada the government just has a different attitude about UFOs, there's government websites available dedicated archives geomaps specifically of UFO incidents. There's a lot in the Canada Library and Archives, for example. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, and I believe their new uh, uh, prime minister or their president, right, uh, is Tradal. I always forget. Trudeau. His, yeah, Justin Trudeau. Tr tr thank you. Yeah, that, I'm blue. <laughs> sorry, that's embarrassing to forget there. But anyway, uh, he, he, didn't he specially open another program or something dedicated to the hunt of UFO, if I'm not mistaken, or am I just completely wrong on that? Um, I'm not, I didn't hear anything about that, but I, I mean, thought it I was something that played into like his polls. I don't follow American politics all that much. So Canadian politics <laughs> is going to be completely off my radar. <laughs> <laughs> but I do know their national defense has said that generally they want to believe that most of the reports that coming in don't pose a threat, but suggest the possibility that UFOs exhibit unique scientific information or advanced technology, which could contribute to scientific and technological research. And Hell this is yeah. direct. That's direct from their national defense. Oh, that yeah. I'll take. Well, let's get back a little bit to, I think we forgot to say the size of the UFO because the, a lot of witnesses described it as a similar size, which is about a 60 foot diameter. So this is a pretty sizable UFO. It's not like just one of these little orbs or something. And we're, so we're talking about, I think um, it was hovering over the water. Some, some people reported seeing it hovering over the water a little bit before it went under. And other people saw it go into the water and float. Um, so it depends on where the witness was and what their vantage point was, you know, as for what they're able to see. Some people saw it go down, but not into the water but other people saw it go into the water and, and float in the water for a little bit before sinking. And uh, when it, in the area where it landed, it left a trail and where it sank, it left that foam. And some of the people on the ship said that they could see the foam coming up from underneath. Now the, with the ships that went there, like we were saying, they called and reported it as a crashed airplane, not a UFO because people saw the light go to the water and they were worried about, you know, survivors. So like we were saying, initially it was fishing boats that got to the scene pretty quickly and they went looking for survivors. They, they, by the time the boats got there, it had already sunk, the UFO had already sunk underneath of the water and all that was left was this foam. Um, I found different reports of how big the foam was, the, the patch of foam, uh, anywhere from let's say 120 by 300 feet to maybe uh, 80 feet by half a mile. The the reports mm -hmm. kind of vary a little bit. Yeah. And remember, it was dark out. So probably witnesses from different vantage points had a different perception as to how big the foam was. But the foam was yellowish. Some people reported as being glittery. 
And also, they reported it having an oily texture and a sulfur-like smell. So that that's a detail that's actually been reported in a couple of different cases with the sulfur smell. I'm not really sure what to make about it, make of it. Mm. But one of one of the more interesting accounts comes from our RCMP officer Ron Pond, who was patrolling Highway Three heading towards Shag Harbor. When he was doing this, he was heading towards there. He saw the UFO while it was still in the air, and he had a really good vantage point to watch it as it went to the water. He saw this, so he went to the area, and when he went there, he met two other officers, a Corporal Werbicki, W-E-R-B-I-C-K-I, and Constable Ron O'Brien. They met, and they while they met on shore, they could still see the thing floating out in the water about half a mile from the shore. They said it was glowing a pale yellow and it was leaving a trail of the dense yellow foam. And the reason I'm pointing these out is because, in my opinion, police officers, and that's what I mean by um, people unfamiliar, RCMP is uh, Royal Royal Canadian Mounted Police, I think it stands for, but that's the police force. And in my opinion, the the police force, especially, and you may be one officer, but three separate officers in my opinion, are very, very unlikely to fabricate any sort of story because they have to write up these reports as a course of their job duties, and they're just not going to risk their jobs in general. And, and they also you know, have to be—they also have to be credible in the court of law. Also, when when drawn upon to to testify, they have to be a, a credible individual. You know. Yeah. So I, that's why, in general, it's not that they're necessarily better observers than most people. But for me, one of the big differences between a regular person and a police officer, I can just go on Twitter and say that I saw something weird. A police officer in the line of duty is very unlikely to do something like that, in my opinion. But hey, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe these three guys got together for a gag and convinced the whole town, right? There's a theory hey, for you. <laughs> you never know. There could be some uh, super trooper shit going on, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's the, I guess, the basic uh, event that happened um, with the crash of the object. But of course, if that was all that happened, it wouldn't be nearly as interesting of a case. Does somebody else want to talk about um, the after it crashed, there were various efforts to try to recover victims or um, survivors and all that stuff, but the military showed up. Yeah. Yeah. So, so obviously the first attempt, uh, the first effort was, was by the, uh, the fishermen and uh, all the boats in the area that immediately went to the site or the area that they were told to uh, go to, or you know, there was you know supposedly something had crashed in. Um, afterwards, th- there was a lot of testimony from you know people in the area, whether they you know would be uh, fishermen or, or residents, that um, there was a, you know a large effort by military to uh, make some kind of a uh, you know uh, there's there's a lot of divers that, that worked uh, the site supposedly in the. But they're, they're, they're trying to recover something. And supposedly some people even, you know, claim to see some like twisted wreckage being pulled out of the sea. But uh, it was it was said that the, like the divers had like, you know, these these um, boxes or, or these these items that were like markers. They were basically helping them like navigate underwater and stuff. And that was the official story of like, you know, whatever was pulled out of the water were these markers. But um I, I don't know anything about, about, about diving, so I can't really comment on that, to be honest. But it seems that, like there was a great effort to investigate the site. There's no doubt about that, I think. Because, I mean, the, the 
the total testimony from all the people that lived in the area and, and worked the area, um, it just, you can't really sidestep that, I think. You know, it's uh, it's pretty substantial. I, I mean, obviously I'm speaking in, a, you know, broad generalities here, but I don't know. It's, I, I, I think it's a... The, the, there's no reason why you put that kind of effort into uh, the site the way that they did it, with with uh, the secrecy that they did as well, because mm. there, there's a lot of denial like all all around. You know the whole the whole situation. You know as far as the government entities involved. Well, how would like so you mentioned the reports of uh, taking an object out that looked like it was warp steel. Um, I didn't get, catch that. So could you? Was there any more on that? Was there anything like no? That yeah, was, some that, some of the witnesses uh, saw from there were people obviously watching the effort. So the divers were there for three days, looking the military divers. Obviously, the fishermen and those people who were helping are, uh, initially they they left, but there were divers there from various military organizations, and some people say that even the United States was there trying to look for stuff. They were there for about three days looking for wreckage. And the official report says that they didn't find anything. There's nothing at all that they found. But witnesses watching them saw them pulling wreckage up, and some of them said it looked like, like Agent ETA said, like metal or steel. Some said it looked like aluminum colored, but people saw them pulling something up. But because it was a distance from the shore, perhaps half a mile, give or take, that's still far enough to where you're not going to be able to really see too much details, especially if it's kind of has like a layer of fog and it's not that, I mean, depending on the weather conditions, there might not have been that good of visibility. So people might've only been able to see vague shapes and outlines, or they might've been able to see metal, but not really make out too much details. But Mm. the witnesses are very, very clear on this point that they did see them retrieving something and it did not look like any sort of marker or bowie or beacon or whatever they're claiming it was. Mm-hmm. It looked like some kind of wreckage. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Um, just as a little, a quick little side note, I love a lot of the names in this area, you know, uh, like, uh, you know, like Nova Scotia, right. Halifax, you know, off, off to the, uh, the East there, you know, Shelburne Wood, Woods Harbor, Shag Harbor, you know, Bay of, Bay of Fundy, whatever the hell that is. Uh, I happen to know, as a matter of fact, that there was an island close to uh, this this area that was called McNugget Island. And, and I'll, yeah. I, I want to visit that island someday, hopefully. you know, uh, We'll take you there. Well, that sounds like a fantastic place to go on vacation, doesn't it? Yeah, dude. I want to eat some, some chicken there sometime. Bring your dipping sauces. I thought, I thought you were going to talk about the names of some of the witnesses at first. For example, um, one of the, I don't think we talked about them yet, but what the first report that was sent in by one of the witnesses uh, was by a fella named Lori Wickens, and hey, that's hey, sort hey, of like a. By the way, good what's good, good segue. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> I like how you you, could, you took control of that. <laughs> like you just, <laughs> you're like you know what I'm going to take this conversation back right now. <laughs> no, 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 it's good. If, if you got more names to talk about, go for it, dude. But no, no, I don't I, know I how just, much, no, I, I don't know how much McNuggets, uh, McNuggets had going for as far as momentum, but it I just, <laughs> I remembered there was a witness named Lori. So it just, it reminded me of Lori who we hadn't talked about yet, but that's oh, yeah. just one of the things that struck me about this case was there was a dude 
named Lori Wick, Wit, uh, Lori Wickens, who was the first person to report uh, of the crash initially, not not the UFO itself, but the crash. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I just reminded me of that, you know, that song, "A Boy Named Sue" by um, by what's his name, uh, Johnny Cash. Yeah, Johnny Cash. Yeah, we were just yeah. singing a song last week, um, but <laughs> but that's the Canadian version of that, I suppose. Is you know, yeah. the parents <laughs> named him Lori to make sure to toughen him up or whatever. I don't know. Lori. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Lori and four of his friends were driving through the area and they're the first pe- people to see it and report it. But um, th- that's pretty much all. His, his story is not super detailed or anything, but it just reminded me of that. Okay. Should we- <laughs> Sorry for yeah, the interruption. No. Please continue. No, you're good. No, no. <laughs> you're fine. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, though, do you think uh, the object when it was underwater? I don't know if I'm going back here on that, but uh, like, what did it hold any of the object or the shape that they were describing in the air? How was it rectangular or was it just complete warp steel or like complete? Because they also said there was like four trailing lights behind it or like four or five, right? Red lights that followed behind it and... Yeah, there unfortunately there's not a whole lot of detail as far as what people saw taking taken out of the water. And you'd imagine that they would probably do that undercover as much as possible, like maybe at nighttime. Um, when the Herald it actually looked like they took a photo, or at least tried to, and it was just so pitch black you can't make out anything. It didn't and, sound like it was a large object though. Yeah. Well who was who was uh damn I didn't write it down in my notes. But who was that feller um, that took a, like a five minute time lapse photo, of like the, uh, the like uh, some lights like uh, before the event w- uh, had been um, uh, reported? That was like the night before, I think. Oh yeah, oh, that was yeah, yeah. Wilfred, Wilfred Ioner. Yeah, it was him and two friends on Mason Beach. Are those the ones that were burning a boat in yes. the water? Yes, right. that was yeah. pretty the funny. They were ones. trying to yeah, they were trying to burn an old boat in the yeah. water. Yeah. And they couldn't get it lit or something. Those goddamn hooligans. <laughs> so yeah, one of them, yeah, one of them set a five-minute exposure. I saw those photos though. <laughs> I wasn't very impressed. It's just a couple stationary no. objects. No, it's against, proof. Like, no, no, okay. no, it's all the proof. Yeah. I don't think they were very. My point is, they weren't very good photos. That's all yeah, I'm saying. Might, <laughs> well, guess, they're right. potentially interesting because in the photos. You can see stars. Now it's a five minute time lapse, so the stars leave a streak, yeah, right? Yeah. But the objects that are stationary, they look like orbs of light, not streaks, because they're stationary. And that is that so, is pretty interesting. I mean, so yeah. th- so they can't be stars, right? Because they would have the same streaks, right? Because of the five minute time lapse. Right. But the way the picture was taken, the details around it, it's kind of like why would you take the picture that way? I, I don't really, I don't know. I'm not really, now, like, it's an interesting picture, but yeah. I'm not sure if there's anything significant about it. Well, I mean, I mean, so, so now obviously that there are certain, you know, uh, you know, large bodies in our solar system that, that from certain perspectives may appear to be stars. Right. So could it possibly be, um, is it Jupiter that, that is, yeah. is one of the, the, the brightest, uh, bodies in our, you know, in the sky, right? Yeah, you can see Jupiter pretty good depending on I conditions. Mean, yeah, c- could it be? So- I know. I mean, I know we've we've uh, we've we've talked. We 
We've, we've talked about this before, and I'm not trying to be that guy, okay? I'm just saying. Okay, I'm, agent class. I'm, okay, I'm agent not, class. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm not trying to be that guy, but could it have been Jupiter or something that was well, more more stationary than a star that was who knows how many light years away, right? Uh, I don't think so, because the streaks, the reason why the stars look like a line is because the of the rotation of the Earth. Yeah. So anything in the sky is going to rotate. And if Jupiter's moving a certain way, uh-huh. it might be slightly less, but I don't think Jupiter's going to move fast enough to make that much of a difference. Yeah. And besides, the stationary objects in the in the picture, to me, looked much, much larger than the stars. And uh, yeah. Jupiter looks like a star. It looks like a bright star, but it just looks like a star to the naked yeah. eye. It doesn't look like a big orb of light. Now, yeah, did they actually see something? Yeah, they, they did report seeing a UFO. Okay. Which is why he took a picture of it, I guess. I don't know. Well, yeah, he, he saw he saw an un- unusual light in the sky. And he said, hey, that's, that's weird. I guess I better take a five-minute uh, time-lapse photo of this. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the that's the thing that kind of catches me up on it because if if you saw a UFO, I mean, is that what you would do? I, I mean, that's not what I would do. I don't know. Well, dude. if they're okay, they're let's picture this: they're out there on the beach. They got a wet boat. They're trying to burn. I'm assuming there's alcohol involved. Yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe they're not. Oh, yeah. Thinking critically. <laughs> well, it was underwater, and we're trying to set it on fire. <laughs> And his fiberglass. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that's why. Well, it was dark. They couldn't tell. Yeah, they could, that's, that's your why, problem right That's there. why they couldn't light it on fire, you know, like like, like they wanted to. Uh, another part of this story is I, I'm unclear on is why exactly were they trying to burn a derelict ship? Because <laughs> that ship be trifling. Is, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> they were trying to have a burial at sea or somebody out. Oh, like a Viking, Viking burial? Yeah, hell yeah. Well, that reminds me of the time we went to visit, uh, I went to visit my brother and his friends took an old couch back into his backyard and he said, please don't burn my couch, at which point they set it on fire. So you just, <laughs> I mean, sometimes you the, you know, there's those moments of like, you know, where you interpret somebody's words, the, the complete opposite, like, I mean, all right, I'll be, I'll be honest. It's, there's been a time or two in my life where I thought somebody was using reverse psychology on me and it, to- it totally turns out they weren't my bad. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying I'm, I haven't like lit somebody's couch on fire, but I mean, I've done stuff kind of equivalent to that, I suppose, you know, I, I could, I, I can understand more it, about this saying. equivalency. You know I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I could see you with suspenders well, with your thumbs under your suspenders well, and what, just pulling them out. What I'm really saying is that, that sounds like a fun time. <laughs> it's a fun time. I have to admit, it was a fun time. <laughs> Everybody needs it. Those made people. a good bonfire. Hell yeah, what? it does. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it smelled great too, right? Yeah, all the I don't remember. I actually, I think it was drizzling. I can tell you one thing: couches light up pretty fast. There, I tell you that much. Unless it's a leather couch. Sound like a man with experience. I'm just picturing <laughs> myself being at a party, just kind of hanging out, and then somebody tells me. Don't light the couch on fire. You know, this couch that looks like they're hey, trying to throw it away. It's in their yard, yeah. you know. Wink, <laughs> wink, wink. Don't right, light it yeah. on fire. Nah, wink. it's time. I mean, it's almost like you wanted them to do it, right? <laughs> yeah. It was reverse psychology. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, as if ETA was saying. If you just hang out there minding your own business and somebody asks you not to light a couch on fire, which, you know, you weren't obviously already in, you know, in the process of doing, then... You're like, well, hey, this motherfucker wants me to light this shit on fire. Okay, then. Yeah, he you know, needs help. That's, I like that's fire. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. How could I not? You know, at that point, you kind of have to, right? I'm pretty sure they were threatening to do it, which is why he asked them not to. Oh, that's that's a little different. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, anyways, back. Let's get let's get back to the case here. Oh. So I don't know if you guys read anything about um, what was the name of that? Oh, dang it! I took too many notes. Edit. All right. The Bay of Fundy. Here. Uh, no, but I like the I like the sound of that. Government Point. Oh, here we go. Uh, no, Shelburne Harbor. Oh, Government, yeah, Government Point. Government Point is yeah. right next to McNugget Island, dude. Yeah, that's a, that's actually another another thing that's sort of involved. But yeah. you know, I was thinking more about Shelburne Harbor. I was so it turns about out McNugget Island. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting kind of hungry now, actually. But there was <laughs> apparently this didn't come out until many years later. But uh, witnesses and I guess uh, released documents and whatever have come out and since since the sighting or since the event, there was a sizable U.S. and Canadian fleet searching the area in Shelburne Harbor uh, that's about 30 miles northeast of Shag Harbor. It's, uh, it's 30 miles as the bird flies, but if you look at the coast, there, it's not like... You'd kind of have to go around a little bit. Like it's, it's not. You couldn't get there from Shag Harbor that easily. On if you look on the map, that's what it looks like to me. But the story goes. Now this is all based on. So it, some of it's based on real stuff. Like it does appear that there really was a fleet there, and that they really were doing something. What they were doing, we don't know. But there have been uh, witnesses, who, you know, anonymous witnesses, unfortunately, who have come out. Uh, more recently, who have said that they were in the military there or they saw the military there and they they claim that there was a UFO, maybe the same UFO that had traveled underwater to this point or maybe a different one. I'm, it, I'm not really clear. depends on who you're talking to here. But um, there was a UFO there and they were retrieving it and that NORAD had tracked this thing. So it, that's that's the the argument that it was the same UFO, like it crashed in Shag Harbor, Harbor, and then it kind of traveled over to this harbor. Which I mean, if you look at the map, it doesn't seem like a logical place for it to go underwater. Which is why I sort of I'm skeptical of this one. But the so the the witnesses say that they were tracking this and watching this object underwater. They were able to photograph it, and while they were watching it, a second object came and went underwater and kind of helped the first object, like as if it was helping it repair. And then at some point, uh, this, this whole ordeal takes like a couple days or something. At some point, both objects fly off and they go away. Um, I, I kind of, I'm kind of hesitant on this one because we don't have good witnesses. It's all hmm. off the record. Yeah. So for Shag Harbor, that crash, we have really high quality, multiple independent witnesses. We got police, we got adults, we got kids, we got fishermen, we got airline pilots, we everything. We got everything you could possibly want for witnesses. They're all there. Yeah, except maybe some wreckage. Yeah. The but the second this one I'm talking about in Shelburne Harbor, it's really, really interesting. Like it makes my imagination go wild. Like I want to believe it, but we just don't have as good enough evidence to support it like we do for Shag Harbor. But I'm mentioning it because it is a possibly important part of the case. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is significant. I don't know. Also connected to this, there's something about a Russian sub. I think ET, or ETA, sorry, excuse me. I think Agent Ether had a little bit more about the sub. Well, they said that one week after this second UFO 
allegedly joined the first UFO. And I am as skeptical about this as Agent Anderson, that Russian subs entered the Canadian waters. And then the two vessels that were under the water went to the Gulf of Maine, broke the surface, and shot away into the sky. That, that's Yeah, that's pretty much the gist of it. That sounds like a cooler, cooler outcome. I'd rather have I sounds like, like that a, one. Sounds like a movie. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Straight out of it. Yeah. The end. <laughs> Roll credits. Yeah. So there is a really cool story that kind of goes along with this, the Shelburne Harbor incident. So there's a lighthouse in the area, and a lighthouse keeper who worked there said that he was um, he was working there and he there were three men with English accents who so the lighthouse is on an island I guess and they drive one of these little rubber boats up onto the island and they tell him that they're doing a military exercise and the exercise is to capture the lighthouse and control its communications these military people pretend to do this and then they stay there for three days on this exercise. The witness says he doesn't think that they were commandos because they, they said that they were like some kind of operatives or commandos or Navy SEALs or who knows what. Mm-hmm. But he says that they appear to be poorly trained, so he doesn't think that they were operatives. He thinks there's something else going on there. Um, now, this goes along with the other one with the Shelburne Harbor because I guess the idea is that maybe they were trying to control the lighthouse communications or stop the people at the lighthouse from viewing what was going on in the harbor because they would have been Mm -hmm. able to see the harbor really well from the lighthouse. Um, And also, uh, to go along with this, they actually did close off Shelburne Harbor. They limited traffic in and out of the area during this time. And given the coincidence of when the uh, Shag Harbor happened, it's just a little weird that it just so happened to be closed down at the same time, which kind of makes me wonder. Like I said, it makes my imagination go wild. But on the other hand, details like with this lighthouse, uh, so I think there's two two ways this lighthouse story could go. First, most obviously, it's just the whole thing's completely made up. Somebody paid this guy 50 bucks to make up a story or whatever, and that's the end of it, right? Maybe he did work at the lighthouse, but everything else is fictitious. The second idea I had was, okay, so let's say that there's some joint operations or something going on in this harbor, Right. And you have somebody who's in, like a sergeant gets the opportunity to run his own operation with his two buddies. He says, okay, we're going to go run an operation on this island over here. So they run down to the local mini mart, grab themselves a few cases of beer, grab a rubber <laughs> boat, motor their asses over to the, <laughs> to the island. They tell the lighthouse keeper, oh yeah, we're doing a commando style operation. Don't mind us. We're just pretending to take over your lighthouse. And they proceed to take over the lighthouse and party their asses off for three days while everybody else is <laughs> doing yeah. real work in the harbor. <laughs> that sounds like a good damn time. Yeah. I think that's, that's the most likely scenario is uh, they, they were doing a quote unquote military drill on the, on the Island for three days. But cause why would they stay there for three days? Uh, they're, they're not doing anything there. What were they doing for those three days? It doesn't make any sense. Now, Agent Anderson weren't, didn't they have British accents? Is that? Well, yeah, but just because they had British accents doesn't mean that they weren't hanging out with the Americans and the Canadians. They do stuff like that all the time where they'll have people training with other people's armies or they'll have like, you know, officers will go work with, you know, we're very close allies with Canada and England. I was just saying with all the sub activity, maybe they were Russian operatives and that's a third option oh. you hadn't considered. Oh, oh shit, yeah. I hadn't thought about that. 
Oh, Maybe they're too. Russian. Hmm. Yeah, and they took over the lighthouse to monitor what was going on. Oh, wow. I'm just saying. That is that is a really excellent theory, Agent Ether. I like it. <laughs> I have my I own theory. I like it a lot. Okay, let's hear it, Agent ETA. You guys want to hear it? Okay, so all right, as far as like the, the you know, the 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 craft that like like uh, crashed into the ocean, the craft in question. So I think you probably have two main characters uh, involved here. You know the 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 main character. Um, his his name is called Lodestar, right? And then like he has this little sidekick. So he, his sidekick is like half man, half fox. His name is is Larp, right? So so uh, they 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 owe one million space bucks to this guy called Lasagna the Hut, right? And, and like um then uh you know uh, like you know to earn this money they're trying to rescue this princess named uh, Butterstuff. And then, like, uh, they're going to, you know, earn the money to pay back Lasagna the Hut, right? And, and then, um, so anyways, uh, you know, Lone Star, uh, Lodestar. <laughs> <laughs> I ruined it. Ends up, you know, he ends up. Uh, Lone wait a minute. Wait, wait, shut wait up, a shut minute. Up, this shut, is, shut up. No, no, this no. This is no, starting to sound familiar. Let, let me finish, okay? <laughs> so so Lodestar uh, ends up being like a secret prince, right? Um, he ends up like, a, um, you, you know, uh, learning how to harness the power of the, the Schwanz. Right, uh, to beat his, he's and so he uses it to beat his arch rival, um, Rick Moranis. I mean, God damn, fuck. I mean, uh, large helmet, large helmet. That's his name. Well, yeah. Large helmet is Canadian. I don't know if you guys know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, it all ties in. Yeah, I mean that's. Yeah, I mean I think that's the that's my base level um, analysis of of uh, this this scenario. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> But or, yeah, or or, or uh, it was the Ark of the Covenant. That so, yeah, that sounds familiar. That. I, I think I've heard that story somewhere before. <laughs> it was Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, I guess that we are getting kind of towards the end here. I mean, that's pretty much all the details of the case. That I mean, I, I there's obviously there are some things that we've left out. Um, you know, more witness statements we could read. Like the Condon Committee looked at it. Not not really. They didn't really investigate it. They made a couple of phone calls, and there's. All sorts of stuff you could go on and on, but I think we touched on all the major points. So yeah, I guess it's it is a good time to kind of talk about conclusions and explanations and thing and things. How about you, Agent Kruger? Do you have any ideas about what happened in this case? I you guys touched base on everything that I would have just said. So I mean, ah, nothing, all nothing right. leaping out. Agent Ether. Well, when the harbor first reported, or was it the Halifax Chronicle Herald? newspaper first reported on this incident they talked to air force squadron leader bain and he said this could be something concrete in shag harbor we get hundreds of reports every week but this is one of the few where we may get something concrete on it that's that that i actually mentioned that earlier that was the newspaper that took a photo that looks straight up like at night and it even says that in the the header is that it has something concrete on it. Here, let me pull it up. But yeah, the photo just looks black, like somebody took it at night. It's like could be something concrete in Shag Harbor UFA UFO by RCAF. But the photo is what I was mentioning earlier, which I came. I don't know what that is. I is that it's so dark. I don't know. All right, let's. I don't actually think I've seen this photo. Let's take a look. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, this it's um. It's something. I mean, <laughs> what is that? Spe- it looks like trees and the moon. I, I, I'm like, I'm actually hurting myself trying to like. Yeah, and a lot of times, 
the newspaper, they'll put a photo there. It may not be a genuine photo. It may just be something to kind of spice up the story, right? It might not be an actual photo of the actual object, but who knows? My basic conclusion on this is we do know for a fact that some object did go down in Shag Harbor. Something went into the water. We have enough witnesses, I think, to establish that. And we have enough witnesses to establish that something weird was flying around the area at the time, hours ahead of time. What that was, we don't know. But it was something. Something definitely was there, and it definitely crashed. And probably some debris were recovered, because a lot of witnesses saw that as well. Now, what that actually is, I can't say. Uh, some people might say it was uh, you know, alien spacecraft. Um, I don't think we have enough evidence to say that for sure, but I think that's definitely a strong possibility. If you want to listen to some skeptical explanations, we have um, really nothing that makes sense, but the foremost explanations are either a meteor, which bears about zero resemblance to what the witnesses saw, and my personal favorite is an emergency flare, like from a flare gun. But my question would be, how would a flare fly all the way, because I don't know exactly how many miles it was away, because I just didn't, I didn't bother to check that on the map. But if you look at the first sighting reported that evening at 7.15 p.m. by Air Canada Flight 305, that's like a couple hundred miles away. That's like not next to Shab, Shag Harbor. That's a decent distance away. So how would an emergency flare... I don't hear many of flares making whistling, banging noises, or at least generating a power to make a whooshing noise. So, I mean, for something to generate a whoosh, I mean, that is an object, right? I mean, that's... But yeah, so I guess kind of my conclusion is that something weird definitely happened here, and it could be, I guess, the the terrestrial explanation might be some kind of uh, experimental aircraft of some kind, but they don't really test experimental aircrafts near populated areas like this. Like, it's if it's top secret... Why would they be flying it all over the damn place in plain view of everybody, right? It doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, the mind often goes to like an ET craft, which seems to make sense in this case, but we can't say that for sure. Well, actually, I want to I want to tip one more one more theory that it could there could be. Now, we we touched base on the bell the bell um that the Habsburg I'm um, sorry, not the Habsburg bell. I'm sorry. De Glocka? Okay. No, the Kecksburg. Kecksburg. Yeah. Um, yeah, that happened in 65. And this, this happened in 67, correct? So, um, now, what, just bear with me. What if there's, there's threats to our country or to our world that we weren't made aware of? Maybe what if there was some sort of covert war that was going down where they were just shooting down our, our satellites or crashing our satellites, doing something where they were just messing with our shit, like whether it be Russia or the United States. But it seems like our governments or they just kind of are like anticipating a crash there and not anticipating, but there's not this overly big display of like, Oh, we're here. We're, we're making an investigation. They usually get in and get out. And it, it almost seems like they're ready though, as soon as it does happen. So what if there was 
something, somebody, some country that was just like messing with our satellites. And I, I'm, not, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not in this theory. I'm not in it to win it, but it's just like, what maybe, I don't know. Dates aren't so far apart. What if this is like the Kecksburg incident yeah. where somebody's jacking with the systems mm. and oh, yeah. they're crashing our shit down? I or, don't know. What if, like I said in the Kecksburg case, what if this was an alien visitor and we had put something in orbit or come up with some way of shooting them down because they are a threat. We can't just have oh, strangers yeah. flying around our space. So remember, like I, I suggested in Kecksburg, what if we actually brought it down? Remember the pilot said they saw two explosions. What if we shot it with a missile or found some way of damaging it somehow with some kind of EMP pulse or who knows what? That's a good and point. we actually brought it down. And that's how good they were point. able to get there so quickly. Who knows? Maybe it's when our, it, I'm sorry, one more thing, Agent ETA. Maybe it was in our early stages of getting out into the space that interrupted their investigation of us or their visiting, if you will. What if there was that that misrepresentation of them and we did shoot them down or just our powers that be drew them? I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I'm going to digress, but that, that does... Maybe we did do something or had the power this whole time and we were shooting him down, but we can't say anything openly about it. Yeah, I was I was going to mention that at the beginning of the show, we talked about these Soviet sickle-shaped sightings, which initially people thought were UFOs, but that it turns out were low-orbit nuclear weapons that they were testing. So could it be that? Yeah, and... I, it could be something like that. Very that well, could be. Could yeah. be why they cover it up. Let's. Uh, well, I'm not saying this is the case, but let's just go out on a limb and say that they are extraterrestrial visitors. They might seem godlike to us, but they are still, you know, nuts and bolts technology of some kind or other that is still susceptible to the elements in our universe and susceptible to malfunction and things like that. And uh, you know, I think it's possible that we could come up with some way of maybe defending ourselves against them if that was the case. But this is all just very speculative kind of stuff. Yeah. I would I would choose to believe that. I mean, we typically a lot of the things in our lives were unintentionally discovered, you know? So, I mean, peanut yeah. butter for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> peanut butter was accidentally discovered? No, no, I just I'm kidding. All right. Well, I, I think that's pretty much all we have for this one, right? Yeah, whatever. Yes. All right. Well, Thanks for listening. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you. And uh, and, uh, blah, blah. and be sure to join our brand new Facebook group. Facebook forward slash groups forward slash AlienConPod.